Hello, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Shannon, and I'll be doing our Bible reading for today. So today I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting from verse 1, and I'll be reading from the NIV. One Thessalonians chapter two. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with every one of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Well, if you've got your, uh, your Bible with you or the text on some device, I'd encourage you to, um, to have it open with me as we come to God's Word this morning. There's a heading for you, Faithful Gospel Ministry. Faithful Gospel Ministry. That's what this passage is about. It's about what faithful gospel ministry looks like. It's something of a template that shows us how to live as Christians, how we are to grow more and more together as the people of God. This passage illustrates the relationship between a pastor and the people that he's called to serve. I chose this passage for a very special reason this morning, and as you've heard this morning, it was a little unexpected. It's the 3rd of December, 2023, which means it's the first day of my 11th year here at BBC. It is indeed my 10th year anniversary. I'm not an overly sentimental person. I'm not overly nostalgic, but today is one of those days. There is something of a sentimental, emotional, nostalgic feel about my soul. 
when the membership of BBC brought Belinda and I out to Australia for a visit, that was 10 and a half years ago. We were flown out from South Africa uh, for you to check me out and for us to check you out. And when I came for that visit, and I think it was the 19th of May, 2013, this was the passage that I preached. And the reason I preached the passage then was because I wanted it to set the tone for what my ministry would look like with you. Now, if you're perhaps wondering if I've gone back and simply plucked out the old sermon and I'm retreading it for you today, no, that's not true. Unfortunately, that sermon got burnt up on a hard drive somewhere uh, a few years ago. But I've come back to this passage now 10 and a half years on, and I, and I spent significant time reflecting Reflecting on the last 10 years, what does my ministry look like? What does our ministry look like? And, and what, what then is it to, to look like going forward again? And I, I've come at it from a point of really wanting to renew our commitment together. A, a commitment from you to the Lord, from me to the Lord, from us to the Lord, from us together. And that's where we're going to go. Now, the first question we've got to ask is this. Why does Paul talk about faithful gospel ministry in this passage? Why in this particular place? And here's the answer. The answer is because of the criticism. The criticism. If you've got the word in front of you, it will come up on the screen. You'll notice in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Our visit to you was not without results. Now, here's what's happened. At the end of Acts chapter 16, you might remember that Paul and Silas were in jail. You remember that? You know, they, they had that great, the Philippian jailer conversion and, and, and all that goes on. And, and having gotten out of jail in, in Philippi, they, they needed to leave rather quickly because they were under threat for their lives. They moved from Philippi into Thessalonica. And in the period of about three weeks, a church is, is planted but here's what happened. The persecutors from Philippi followed Paul and Silas into Thessalonica. And no sooner had they been in Thessalonica for about three weeks, three Sabbaths, they then had to move again. They had to get on the run because their lives were in such danger. And you pick that up in chapter 2, verse 17, where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned or when we were torn away from you for a short time. Here's what's happened. The persecutors in Thessalonica have torn Paul and company away from the Thessalonians. They, they've had to run. And as Paul is now on the run, so to speak, he's moved out of Thessalonica. The persecutors have come in behind him and he started to say to them, the apostle Paul, the persecutors to the Christians saying, Paul was an imposter. Paul was a fraud. The reason Paul left was because he didn't love you, and he was a deceitful huckster. And so because these persecutors are trying to steal the Christians away from Christ, back into Judaism, Paul writes this letter to them. And notice what he says. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you know. To two, as you know. To five, you know. To nine, surely you remember. 
2.10, you are witnesses. And you say, you know what? You remember what? You're witnesses to what? Paul writes to them, and he says, Thessalonians, you know that I'm not a fraud. You know that I'm not an imposter. You know that you can trust me. You know that the gospel that I brought you is the gospel because of how I conducted myself when I was with you. Because of my faithful gospel ministry, which you know, and I want to remind you about it. I want you to remember it. That's how you know that what they're saying about me is false. I'm not a fraud. I'm not a huckster. And I didn't leave because I didn't love you. So as, as we see Paul unpack faithful gospel ministry, to remind them of his integrity, we're going to see what faithful gospel ministry looks like. And by the time we're done this morning, we're really going to be asking ourselves these two questions. Has our ministry here at BBC over the last 10 years, has it been faithful? That's what you want to look at. And the second question is, will we commit to faithful gospel ministry going forward? over the next five years. So what does it look like? Let me give you the first point. Faithful gospel ministry is a commitment to proclaiming the gospel even under fire. Got the passage in front of you. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we, what? We dared, we dared to tell you the gospel in, in the face of strong opposition. If you look down to chapter 2, verse 4, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Go further down in the passage, chapter 2, verse 9. He says, Surely, brothers and sisters, you remember our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we did what? While we preached the gospel to you. That's what faithful gospel ministry does. It proclaims, it preaches the gospel. We speak the words of God in the gospel. We're offering people the good news in Jesus that Christ lived and died and rose for our salvation that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. But did you notice, just if I could flick back again just to press in in there in, in verse 2, notice that, 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 they, that Paul and company dared, they dared to share the gospel even though Paul was on the run, even though he's under threat of his life, even though he's running out of Philippi into Thessalonica and then has to keep moving, even under the threat of his life, he, he's sharing the gospel. He, he dared to share the gospel. You see, because faithful gospel ministry is not just sharing the good news when people are willing to hear or when they're tolerant of it. 
But even when society and culture are seething in resistance against it. That's why Paul says this to Timothy. Actually, let me get down to, uh, to Timothy 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes to his protege in his faith, his son in the faith, and he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Whether people are hot or cold, or whether they lukewarm. Whether the gospel embers of persecution are glowing hot or not. Whether the gospel is in season or out of season. We proclaim the gospel. Why? Because it's the greatest news there is to proclaim. Because God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'm sure you've realized that the world in many ways is pretty capable of doing a lot of things. And they're even capable of doing certain things better than we can do as the church. Have you noticed that? Very often, the, the, the world can respond to things like human crises better than what we can, whether it be poverty, sickness, wars. But the one thing the world can never do, the world can never proclaim that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. It's something the world can not this is our God-given privilege. This is the one thing that we are called to do loudly and faithfully and boldly, whether we're loved for it, whether we're hated for it. This is our commission. This is our mandate. This, this is our commission. Isn't that what our Lord said to us? Go into all the world and what? And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I will be what? I will be with you. Now, yes, there may be some few people that are exponentially better at doing this. Maybe they have more time to do it. But this proclamation of the gospel is a priesthood of all believers ministry. It is an every member ministry, if I can put it that way. You have noticed, haven't you, that we're not living in a gospel-friendly town we're not living in a gospel-friendly state. We're not living in a gospel-friendly country. And we're not living in a gospel-friendly world. And the, the embers of persecution are getting a little hotter. Just a little. Every single day. Let me show you a couple of things. A couple of the apostles had been arrested for preaching the gospel. And after the apostles were arrested for proclaiming the gospel in Acts 4, here's how the church prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's how they prayed in the persecution. 
Acts 5, a little bit, little bit later, the same thing happens. Apostles get arrested again for proclaiming the gospel, nothing new under the sun. And here's, here's their response. His speech, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged for preaching the gospel. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, and then they kept quiet, didn't they? Day after day in the temple, in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Back in um, 2013, the, the year I arrived in Australia, I don't know if this is predetermined or providence or whatever it is, but there was a song that was written by a woman by the name of Sarah Barellas. And uh, here's some of the words. I started singing 10 years ago. I'm not going to start again. That's... That, that's long gone. My wife will be very happy. But here's some of the words of that song. I just want to see you. I just want to see you. I just want to see you. I want to see you be brave. I just want to see us be brave. In sharing the gospel, the beautiful news that Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Now, one thing you might be sitting here saying to yourself, well, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. If you don't have a gospel tool, then learn one. I'll happily share a gospel tool with you that I've used and adapted and shaped and honed over 23-odd years or 30 years as a Christian. As a pastor, I, I do have the privilege of, of people coming to me often and saying, Paul, what about this? What, what does the Bible say about that? Please explain to me predestination. That word seems to have got in my head this morning. Um, DGs, all stuff. But you know what's very rare? It's very, I, it's very rare that over the last 10 years, Happened on a very odd occasion where someone has come to me and said to me, Paul, teach me how to share the gospel. I can do that. I can put a couple of gospel tools in your toolbox. There isn't one particular way to share the gospel, but I can put a few gospel arrows in your quiver. I hope that's a good metaphor. Can I just remind us again, as we did around communion, the gospel is rather simple though, isn't it? Keep it simple, saints. Can I just remind you how simple it is? 1 Thessalonians, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How about 1 Thessalonians 5.10, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Can we be brave? Can we just be brave? Gospel ministry, faithful, is a commitment to proclaiming the gospel even under fire. Secondly, it is a commitment to please God. 
It's a commitment to please God. Follow with me, verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed because God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Now, there's a lot going on in those verses, but when you read it, it's quite obvious, isn't it, that with Paul out of the way, the false teachers were questioning Paul's motives. They said his motives weren't pure. They said he was self-seeking. They said he was after their, their money. They said he was in it for himself, not for them. And motive really is a big issue today, isn't it? It's very interesting to note that when a crime is done, the refrain from police and detectives and whatnot, they want to know or they want to try and know why the person has done what they've done. And depending on why they've done what they've done might have mitigating things on the sentence. Now, when you do something from pure motives and then people question it, it's hard. And the Apostle Paul was a man just like us. He did things from a pure motive, but they, they, they questioned it and, it, and, and, and it hurt him. And I want to say to you this morning, I think we, we need to be very, very careful about trying to assign motives to what people do. You do this because. You did that because. But notice in verse 4, Paul says we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. And verse 6, notice, he says we're not looking for praise from people, not from you nor anyone else. Now let's just be honest here for a moment. At the end of the day, there are simply only two people who know why you do what you do. God and you. You can fool God. I mean, you can fool everyone else. You can even actually fool yourself. But you can't fool God. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians that what happens on judgment day is the motive of the heart will be revealed. But Paul says in coming to you and bringing the gospel to you under fire, the motive of my heart was to please God, not man. A faithful ministry, a faithful life is a commitment to please God, not man. But I want you to notice something here. In this pleasing God aspect, Paul is connecting it directly to proclaiming the gospel. It is proclaiming the gospel that really pleases God. Now, this should be self-evident, but let me say it anyway. If the Father has given His sinless Son for our sins, then it pleases the Father when we talk about Jesus to other people. 
Do you remember, do you remember on, the, on the Mount figure, uh, the Transfiguration? Do you remember that? Mark 9, Matthew 17. Remember Jesus goes up on the mountain and he's transfigured? The Greek word there is actually metamorphosized. He was metamorphosized before them. He, he showed them his, his glory. And, and in, in that sort of experience, the Father's voice comes through and says, This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. You see, if the Son of God is so pleasing to the Father then how pleasing is it to the Father when we're talking about His glorious Son to people? But it doesn't just apply to evangelism. It's not just when we're talking to others about Jesus. BBC, we are to be a people who seek to please God, to do all things for His glory. In sharing the gospel, as I've said, teaching one another, encouraging one another, whatever the ministry might be. It might be tea, it might be coffee, it might be creche, it might be gathering team, kids church, DGs, admin, connect groups, pod. Do what you do to please God. And we do that then in our own private lives, don't we? I hope. Behind closed doors where no one else can see. At home. At uni, at the party, at school. I mean, it even comes down to eating and drinking, doesn't it? How about this verse? 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the, do it all to the glory of God. Faithful gospel ministry is a commitment to proclaiming the gospel even under fire. It's a commitment to please God in, in everything. It's, it's a commitment, thirdly, to love one another. Have a look at verse 7 and 8 with me. Instead, remember he's, he's writing to them about his ministry. He says, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, the false teachers have moved in and they've said, ah, Paul was brash. Paul was arrogant. Paul was a hard man. He didn't care about you. He didn't, didn't love you, all that stuff. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You, you remember, you know, you remember that when we were with you, we were like, we were like nursing mothers. We were like nursing mothers who loved you and cared for you and gave our lives to you. Now, you know what a nursing mother is, don't you? It's a breastfeeding mother. It's a breastfe- he says we were like breastfeeding mothers. Now, there's no more intimate picture than Paul that Paul could have given to them to say, this is what we were like when we were with you. A mother being able to breastfeed is such an incredible thing in God's design. It displays so much. It illustrates so much. It it shows something of a mother's commitment to her child, her love for the child, how she gives herself to that that, that child, and and she gives herself so 
completely, and, and, it, and it's such a beautiful picture. And, and that's the picture that Paul says, this is what we were like when we were, we, we were with you. We were like mothers. We were so deeply committed to you, and we loved you so deeply. And we, we, we gave you the gospel, and we gave you everything. We, we gave you our lives. Such a picture of deep affection from a pastor to his people, to God's people. This is how he loved them in Thessalonica. He didn't leave them because he didn't love them. He left them because people were trying to kill him. Maybe I can just say the most self-evident thing, which should be so obvious, but let me say it again. Our commitment is to people, not a particular type of church. Our commitment is to people, not a denomination. Our commitment is to people, not a constitution. The church is people, not building. It's people, not paper. It's people, not system. It's people, not traditions. And if there is one of the most remarkable two scriptures in all of the Bible in this book, have a look at them. Paul says, for what is our hope, our joy, the or crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes. I wonder what you would have written next. What's our hope and joy and crown when we meet Jesus one day? What would you have written next? It would have been something probably about you. He says, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory Enjoy. You know, when Paul the Apostle thought of eternal glory, he thought of God's people with whom he would spend eternity. The crown that he wanted on his head was not a gold crown full of Jews like some sort of monarch. The crown was a crown of people together forever with Jesus. And some of you are just about freaking out. Oh, my goodness. Together? Forever? <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> so, gospel ministry, number four. It's a commitment to proclaiming the gospel even under fire. It's a commitment to pleasing God in everything. It's, it's a commitment to love one another deeply, passionately affectionately, and it's a commitment to changed lives for the glory of God. So just have a look at verse 10 and 12. He says, you are our witnesses, and so is God of our holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, changes the metaphor, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul's ministry didn't just look like a nursing mother. It, 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 looked like a, it looked like a tender father. It looked like a father that was always encouraging and urging and comforting the people of God. And he was always urging and encouraging them to live lives worthy of God. There it is again. 
And this sort of frame of living lives for the glory of God, living lives worthy of God, you pick it up in every single letter of Paul right through the New Testament. A couple of examples. Ephesians 4, 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Colossians 1, 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Philippians 1, 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here's the bottom line of Christianity. It is about living lives worthy of the gospel of God. It's about living lives worthy of the kingdom of God. But I want to take you back. Now watch the link. Watch this because here's the, here's the turn. When you take verse 12 and you go back and hit into verse 1, because it's a bit of a, an inclusio, it's a passage that holds together. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. What's Paul saying? He's saying, the way you know my ministry was not deceptive. The way you know my ministry was not a ruse. You know, you know, the way you know that I was not some sort of deceitful huckster is because the gospel that I brought changed lives. The kingdom of darkness is a kingdom of self. The kingdom of light is a kingdom of Christ. And Paul says when we were there, even in that short period, maybe as little as three weeks, Paul says, my gospel came to you with such power that lives were blown away. Lives were transformed. Lives were changed. And he says exactly the same thing in the first chapter, verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. If you ask me this morning, there have, been, there have been some great discouragements over the last 10 years. But I can honestly say to you this morning, those discouragements are mostly with myself. But the greatest encouragement that I've had reflecting over 10 years of ministry here is to see your lives changed and grown by the gospel. And I've seen that. That's, that's not a me work. That's a God through his gospel work. That's the encouragement. Because you know what we're about? We're about changed lives. Isn't that what Paul says? Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And you remember the words of Paul in Corinthians, it says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the, the new has come. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Firstly, foundationally, fundamentally, the gospel changes lives. It rises the dead to life. It brings light 
where there is darkness. So, we're nearly there. That's what faithful gospel ministry looks like. So it leaves me just for a moment to talk about the commitment. I do want to just say to you this morning, BBC, that I want to thank you. I do want to thank you for the way that you've cared for me and the way that you have looked after me and my family over 10 years of ministry. As I look back again over these 10 years, one thing I know, one thing I know, is I know that this church has been committed to proclaiming the gospel. This church has been committed to pleasing God in everything. And I always got that right. I know that this church has made a commitment to love one another. And I know that this church is committed to seeing lives changed for the glory of God through the gospel of God. And so I can say the first part to you of that verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are doing. Thank you, BBC. Thank you for your commitment to faithful gospel ministry. But that's only half the verse. Do you want to see the other half? It's for other matters, brothers and sisters. We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Brothers and sisters, more and more. More and more proclaiming the gospel under fire. More and more of living to please God. More and more to loving each other deeply and affectionately and passionately. More and more to see our lives and the lives of others changed for the glory of God. This has been the last 10 years. May it be more and more the next five years or however long. 